from 11FS, this is FinTech Insider News. Today, New Bank makes its market debut on the New York Stock Exchange. Primer launches a no-code plugins for e-commerce platforms. And the FCA launches a Christmas jingle to warn about fraud. All this and more on today's show. But before we start, we'd like to tell you a little bit more about something we're cooking up at 11FS and a quick word from our sponsors. If you've been in payments for any length of time, you've seen the number of payment solutions explode. That's great for consumers, but incredibly complex for merchants and developers. That's where Primer comes in. Primer is the world's first automation platform for payments. With Primer, merchants and developers have all the underlying infrastructure and Lego blocks they need to build the best buying experiences for their customers. Learn more and book a demo at primer.io. Welcome to episode 590 of Fintech Insider. My name is Guerra, and I'm joined on Fintech Insider News by my colleague, Amy Gavin. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, Guerra. I'm good, thank you. Um, Counting down to Christmas now and looking forward to a break from next week, um, but looking forward to to chatting with you. I don't think we've done, we've co-hosted the show together, have we, before? So um, should be good. I'm excited. Also, for those who obviously can't, this is a podcast, so you can't see anything. Amy's got this beautiful Christmas tree um, behind her, which looks just so festive and so great. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah, I know you're excited for the holidays. Um, And of course, we're always joined by uh, some very special guests. So making a welcome return, we've got Gabrielle Leroux. Uh, Did I say your name right? (laughs) The co-founder of Primer. Welcome back to the show, Gabrielle. Thank you for joining us uh, on this news week for big news week for Primer. Uh, we'll get into that later, but uh, before we do, uh, how how are you doing? And and can you tell us a little bit more about Primer? I'm good, thanks. Uh, quite a busy time of the year. Um, very excited to be back on the show. Uh, what is Primer? We are the world first automation platform for payments. Uh, we essentially allow businesses to enable pretty much any payment services or API tools they want to use across the web. Uh, all that with a beautiful checkout. Uh, we started the company uh, around two years ago with my co-founder, Paul, and we're now a team of about 100 um, across uh, the US, uh, the UK, EU, and APAC. And we've raised uh, 75 million US um, with the likes of Axel, uh, Iconic, and uh, Balderton, Seedcamp, Spin Invest, and some other angels. So we're very excited to, uh, to be on the show today. I think the, the, the topic we're going to discuss are quite exciting um, and, you know, even more excited to uh, to talk with Bruno and and with what's happening in Brazil. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Great, and I'm excited to hear more about uh, what you guys have been cooking up. Uh, and also making a fintech insider debut, we've got Bruno Diniz, uh, the co-founder of Spiralim. Uh, Bruno, so lovely to have you with us. Can you give us a brief introduction of yourself and Spiralim? Definitely. Yeah. First of all, thank thank you guys for uh, for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Gera, Gabriel, Amy. Uh, so basically, uh, Spiraland is a company focused on uh, basically innovation. is an innovation consultancy firm uh, focused in Latin America. We work with uh, big financial institutions, uh, with uh, governmental bodies, uh, showing them and uh, making them understand a little bit about uh, the ecosystem of fintech and innovation for financial services. Uh, besides that, I also work, uh, I lead also uh, the effort of FData, which is the Financial Data and Technology Association for Latin America. We are basically focused on our campaign to to help companies interested in open finance uh, in the region. Um, and, and I also teach fintech in a local uh, MBA course uh, and write a 
couple stuff around this subject as well. So it's a pleasure to be here and uh, to talk about this, uh, this this topic that I love. That's exciting. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting into it. So let's get into it. Let's get into the news. So first story comes from uh, Bloomberg. Buffett-backed new bank closes up nearly 15% in trading after a blockbuster fintech IPO. Um, so Brazilian fintech company Newbank made its market debut on the New York Stock Exchange last week. The company's stock began trading at $11.25 a share, higher than the IPO price of $9 a share. Um, so shares closed at $10.33, giving the company a market cap of $50 billion uh, in one of the year's largest IPOs. Newbank launched in 2013 with the very iconic purple no-fee credit card in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and in less than less than 10 years later, the fintech company has survived a recession and a pandemic, emerging with 48 million customers across Brazil, Colombia, and Mexico, and an evaluation higher than Chime, Robinhood, or SoFi. Bruno, no-brainer, we're going to come to you first. Uh, as someone in the Brazilian fintech scene, how is this news being received by the wider Brazilian fintech scene and and, and uh, what, what's the sentiment? What's the temperature? Well, uh, very well received. I think uh, most, uh, the majority of the, the Brazilian fintechs uh, love it, the, the, the news. You know, it's a very important uh, milestone for our ecosystem here. It showed the maturity that it's achieved. It. I think we got a lot going on here in Latin America and in New Bank going public is it's 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 big and it's important to to say that it was the second largest uh fintech ipo in the year the first one was coinbase so uh it was was something very important and also because of that you know big new bank became uh the largest the, the largest financial institution in latin america by market cap so that's that's incredible, um, and 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 that I, I think that you know, most of the the incumbents are skeptical with skeptical with uh, with with that because it, it, for for most of them it makes no sense. But uh, I believe that that's a very positive sign of what we'll see and open up doors not only for companies in Brazil that's going to debut on 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 you know international stock exchanges. But also uh, for other neo neo banks as well like Revolut and other players. Absolutely. And, you know, yes, of course, like uh, Newbank has been at the table, really, of the global fintech scene. Um, but really, what factors have, have helped Newbank thrive in Latin America specifically? And what was the gap that existed before? And, and what's led to it being so so valuable and so so popular? Sure. Yeah. We Here in Brazil, we have like... Uh, uh, like five banks dominate the scene here in, in the country. And that's almost the same that happens in other countries in Latin America. It's just like there's this dominance uh, by the incumbents and only a few of them uh, with, uh, you know, high costs, uh, you know, products that are expensive, such as, uh, you know, for for current accounts that are expensive or other products that are not that good. And uh, New Bank bring a, like a, a fresh air to do all of that with a much more consumer-oriented uh, way of doing business. And, 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 that, and they made something that I think it's unbelievable uh, when you look at the, the Brazilian landscape because people here hate banks and hate bankers and all of that. And, and, and they changed this perception and they really got fans here. And I think that they, they, they are a typical case of a neobank that, didn't, that haven't lost along the way. I know there are cases out there that neobanks uh, all over the world with uh, some some problems, even even if it's something like uh, like human resources related problems or things like that. I think neobank uh, they maintain diversity. They they have a very very interesting. They constructed a very good uh, story 
for their IPO. So I believe that, uh, you know, bringing diversity for the company, uh, it's important. Uh, the way that they constructed the brand, the way that people perceive it, the way they uh, they, they uh, attracted some of the investors. And I believe that it was uh, genius that they brought uh, Warren Buffett because for us that live in the fintech bubble, we know who Nubank is. But for the general public, you know, all the times when you, you the, the same news that you just uh, told us, Guerra, is, is just like uh, Buffett back at Nubank. So that's the, that's the factor here. They are now uh, known, known for being like, a, you know, they got the endorsement of Warren Buffett. That's very important as well. Uh, another thing that is it's very important, uh, New Bank got a very good sense of community um, with, their, uh, with their clients. So the, the thing is, when they listed uh, uh, on New York Stock Exchange, they also made a dual listing on, on the Brazilian Stock Exchange. And they also did something that I think it's amazing. They make something like an airdrop. Just like we see in the crypto, they gave uh, like a fractions of their stocks for their clients, you know, giving them the sense of community. So they have like, it's like um, 17% of the value of a regular stock. So that's some selected clients uh, receive it, uh, but they couldn't, they cannot, they got a lockup on this stock, so they cannot sell it for one year. But after that, they can. Uh, and during this period, they are going to, a new bank are going to, is going to uh, send a lot of information around uh, financial education because here in Brazil, we don't have that much people on the stock markets, like a 4 million people in the stock market for an, like we have 210 million people here. So it was uh, amazing as well. And as I said, when they do they, this kind of a dual listing, uh, it's very important for the, for the, you know, for the fan base that here that was with the company since the beginning to be part of this, uh, uh, this important moment for the company that, that for me is, was, was very, very clever from, from their side as well. Yeah. I think definitely getting buy-in uh, from your customers and, and I mean, New Bank has had a you know monstrous year and monstrous IPO, and uh, you know I, a lot of people you know uh, David uh, Velas told Bloomberg that you know this the pandemic played a factor, so, but the pandemic forced behavior amongst the population to change because branches were closing and it wasn't even an option. So people start, started using New Bank and realized it was a better option. Uh, Amy, I'm going to come to you. You've done some research and some work um, on, on the fintech scene, like uh, specifically. I want to ask you about like the pandemic. So what like what has has the pandemic created the perfect storm for stories like this to to come up? Yeah, I think certainly the pandemic um, has has played a role in this shift to digital, and whether that's the case for New Bank and and how it's helped New Bank acquire customers. Um, but to go back as well to a, a point you made, Bruno, around New Bank being a, a real breath of fresh air in the Brazilian market, I think the fact that traditionally the Brazilian market has been sort of dominated by incumbents where there are fees and there's a lack of trust in these banks and that actually new bank has come forward and has got this appeal ability to appeal to the really young and and growing population um, in Brazil and its bank account doesn't require credit checks where the incumbents do it doesn't require people to visit a branch where the incumbents do um, and actually sort of democratizing finance for a lot of people and um, Brazil has a huge unbanked population and new bankers started to grow amongst this unbanked and really targeted them and um, encouraged a lot of people to open credit cards and open accounts who actually have never had one before, which is really exciting. 
No, the, in, and the way they are uh, building that, it, it started with a credit card, and now it's you know they, they are building a whole portfolio of solutions. I think it's 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 very inter- interesting how they are doing that, and uh, and they are even going beyond banking, just like other players. And I think it's very important because uh, they got this fan base, and this fan base is uh, definitely crazy about about Newbank, um, and they curated all those different services. Now they have a marketplace, and I'm pretty sure they are going to bring a, additional uh, solutions that uh, go way beyond just like uh, financial products. Yeah, and you know, just to like segue from that, like financial solutions, bringing new financial solutions into the market. Um, so Brazil and even, you can say anywhere really, traditional banking is just like low CSAT. Everyone hates their bank. No one loves, you know, no one's going out and shouting about their, pur- you know, non-purple card or non-like <laughs> coral, uh, hot coral card. Um, and that's really been, a, that's, that's been enabled by like banking as a service, right? So Gabriel, I'm going to come to you because I wonder, um, wh- has the cost of, of serving customers uh, been significantly reduced by, by services like low-code, no-code services, um, like Primer and others who, who've allowed um, fintechs to spin, uh, you know, niche products up and, and grow? Have you found that to be the case in, in your experience? Well, I think, you know, like the, uh, the principle of what we're trying to really looking to establish, um, you know, a, a primer being a low code, no code, uh, you know, platform is to allow like anyone to have a certain level of sophistication with when it comes to their payments. Uh, you know, for us, like payments should be a first class product area, right? A, a lever for growth, an ability to actually accelerate your, your strategy and, and, um, obviously increase the top line. Um, right. So I think, you know, um, what we're saying is, hey, you know, you have a lot of amazing services out there, you know, a lot of APIs, a lot of like payment services. And now with a platform like Primer, what we enable you to do is to enable them like in a very, very easy way. Right. I think, you know, the principle they're trying to establish is, you know, as Primer in the payment space is to say, well, you know, there's a lot of, of stakeholders in a company that want to use certain APIs that want to create sophisticated business logic. But it requires a lot of tech, right? It requires a lot of engineering effort. And now with Primer, we're saying, hey, you have a tool, you have a product that you can use to use all those amazing services in just a few clicks, right? With a you know certain level of sophistication. I just want to go back to to Newbank. Uh, I, I think you know from from my perspective, uh, I think it's great to see a lot more activities in Brazil. Um, we work with a lot more businesses over there. Uh, we lo- we work with a lot more businesses in Latam. Um, it's good to see, you know, more investment as well in Brazil. I think, you know, the, uh, the investment in 2021 was, you know, significantly higher than what we've seen in 2020. I think it was around like 9 billion the first months of, of 2021. Uh, we also see like interesting businesses like in Europe going to Brazil. I think we had one big fintech in France called Swile raising a bit round and then like, you know, launching in Brazil. Um, so it's, it's definitely becoming like, you know, an attractive market for, companies here but you know uh, it's great to see a lot more activities uh, there as well so um yeah and obviously like you know a lot happened this year with like neobanks uh i remember on one of the uh previous uh, podcast i've done with you guys we talked about like uh uh i think it was another it was it tide uh, launching in india um we talked about like you know um number 26 doing a massive round so it's definitely the year of of fintech and definitely the year of of new banks so quite 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 exciting time ahead i think uh, for that for that part of the industry 
really is. Uh, and yeah, I think definitely never a dull moment in, in this industry. Um, all right. So let's move on to another story that uh, that's very interesting because we do have someone to, to give us a real comment about it here today. Uh, so this is coming from the papers. Uh, Primer launches no-code plugins for e-commerce platforms. So Primer, the automation platform for payments, is releasing no-code payment plugins for every major e-commerce platform. The Primer plugin creates a no-code point-and-click solution to help retailers use e-commerce platforms, using e-commerce platforms to integrate payments into their stores within minutes. The plugin has a point-and-click solution for fast activation and comprehensive access to payments and non-payments-related services. A retailer that uses Adobe's Magneto uh, 2 as their e-commerce platform and uh, and installs the Primer plugin can instantly add any solution without having to do any of the custom development and installation work each time. This is huge. Gabriel, we're going to come to you first on this. What can you tell us about this new plugin? So, you know, we, we uh, with Mike Ofano, we started Primer after spending quite some time in payments, right? I, I was at Braintree PayPal for, for five years working with very large businesses and the one thing that we realized working with all these companies is how they're looking to expand their payment stack. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, you want to use a multitude of services, right? As I said earlier, you know, you want to increase the top line. You want to, you know, uh, use payment as a lever for growth. So what you're going to do is that as a merchant, you're going to have a payments roadmap. And that payments roadmap will, you know, include the activation of payment method, you know, PSPs, for provider, BI tools, accounting software. You know, the payment ecosystem of a merchant is, is, is a lot of services today. Now, um, if you have a shopping cart provider today, um, you're essentially going to do a lot of things with that platform, like Magento, right? You're going to seamlessly manage your inventory. You're going to have your product page. Um, however, um, in a lot of cases, the payments experience is going to be suboptimal. Why? Because you're going to be limited to what that platform want to offer, Right. Um, in terms of plugin. Um, and you're also going to have like very limited uh, uh, ability to customize your checkout. And as we know, like checkout is one of the most crucial, like, you know, step uh, in, in the buying flow. Um, and the one thing that is very crucial in payments is that all these services I mentioned earlier, they need to work with each other, right? A fraud provider needs to work in conjunction with a, a payment service provider, which may work in conjunction with a you know, data connector, uh, which, you know, uh, may work in conjunction with a communication service like Slack, right? And these are sort of like workflow you can establish on Primer. So what we're saying is, is hey, well, now you have a plugin, which is the Primer plugin, uh, that allows you to have access to all these services. You're not limited to what the platform is offering. You can enable pretty much anything you want, right, via Primer. And now, you know, the level of sophistication that you would have if you would go with a direct integration of our services, i.e. you're not using a shopping cart platform, is accessible to you, you know, um, on, on Magento or on any other shopping cart, like, you know, uh, or e-commerce platform uh, where our plugins is going to be available, which means that, you know, you can create sophisticated workflows. Those plugins, which typically don't speak to each other, now, you know, you have them as part of Primer, and you can, you know, create sophisticated workflows, uh, optimize your checkout, optimize your user experience. So you're gaining back control uh, over your payments. And you can sort of like do what I said earlier, increase the top line, accelerate your strategy, create unique commerce experiences. So what we're doing at Primer is really like saying, hey, everyone should have the ability to control their payments. Everyone should have the ability to use like, you know, APIs, tools together 
um, directly if you own you know your your website indirectly if you are on a, on a shopping cart provider so it's a very very exciting time uh, for us um, we are enabling you know any merchants to be sophisticated any merchant to create sophisticated workflow um, and we're also enabling like certain services which aren't which are not on these shopping cart providers to now be activated via primer um, so yeah we're super excited by this news that's awesome uh, Amy, do you have, it looked like you, you, you had something you wanted to say. You were um, nodding quite furiously earlier. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's certainly exciting. And it, it, one, of, one of the discussion points around this really is the, the uh, payment options at checkout and the idea that the more payment options you can give people, the more likely people are to sort of go through, go through with that payment. And actually, I think um, there's some research recently by payments.com and it was around the fact that actually a lot of consumers say the absence of a preferred payment method means that it will change where they shop online it would it will change completely that whole experience so i think the more you can do to streamline that and to give people the options that they want the um the better service you can offer merchants i i agree you know you know what's even better you show the payment method like customers want to use, right? Because there is the notion of like having lots of payment method, but what if like you know which payment method a specific customer want to use? You know, maybe you realize that when you're selling a product uh, which is above a certain amount, you need to show like a buy now, pay later solution. Or maybe for some like, you know, user in a location, you want to show, well, you know, Boleto in Brazil, right? Or Oxo in Mexico or Ideal in the Netherlands. You know, this is what we want to allow any business to do out there, right? So with Primer, they can actually specify which payment method they want to show on the checkout. So we're really saying, hey, you know, that's it. You have access to all these amazing services. You have access to anything without touching a single line of code, even more so now that you have a plugin like Primer on your shopping cart provider. Um, so, um, but you're right, like showing the relevant payment method at the point of checkout is crucial. And we're allowing anyone to do it right now uh, with Primer. That's awesome. Uh, I think definitely the pr primer example is is something that you know, like low code, no code is is really I think you know the future uh, of just lowering the barrier to to entry for many people. So like you know, primer is doing what Shopify did for merchants in terms of spinning up a shop online um, in minutes. Uh, Bruno, how important do you think no code slash you know low code solutions are going to be going forward uh, for some of the students you're you're teaching and and some uh, you know any any budding fintech founders? Yeah, I, I think that's going to boost adoption, right? Right. We have so many uh, uh, business that needs uh, 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 that would benefit from from no uh, no code applications, and there's there are some interesting examples uh, happening in other places as well, and not only focus on payment, but uh, even uh, even when you uh, you know look at uh, banking as a service in a more you know with more other products, it's a more sophisticated product uh, besides um, payment. So there is a company called Open in 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 India that uh, they just released also a no code a banking as a service solution, and I, I believe that that's the new frontier here in Brazil. We're gonna. Uh, start seeing uh, things like that happening. Uh, many different providers, uh, you know, when you see banking as a service trend, a meeting, uh, no code trend, um, and for sure, that's that's a very interesting combination for uh, boosting adoption and and bring in including and also to to include more people into uh, the digital financial system. So that that that's very important as well. Gabriel, I'm going to come back to you. Like. <laughs> 
I, with you know the rise of BNPL, like buy now pay later, um, you know there's providers like Afterpay, Layby, Klarna, the list goes Monzo. <laughs> like everyone's doing it now. Um, will the, will the new plugin increase accessibility of, of buy now pay later methods uh, for for all sizes of merchants? And and if so, how how do you how do you ensure that this is done safely? So one one thing to uh, actually bear in mind is we are a technical platform at Primer, right? We're in a, we are essentially an infrastructure product. So what we're essentially enabling is any merchants to activate those services in a few clicks. However, if they want to use Klarna, if they want to use Afterpay, if they want to use like any of the buy now pay later uh, solution out there, they need to have a relationship with those underlying providers. They need to go through like you know onboarding, maybe underwriting KYB. Um, so I think you know there's uh, what we're doing at Primer is giving access uh, to the merchants so that they can create unique commerce experiences. They can use this product. They can A/B test them. However, like you know, the uh, the education piece um, relies you know with the underlying provider to make sure that they understand you know what they're using. That you know they go through a risk review. Um, so that's that's the sort of like principle, right? Um, that that you know needs to be uh needs to be clear all right so let's uh on that note let's take a quick break uh, while we hear from our sponsors we'll be back in a second hey folks over here at 11fs we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly so we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. And we're back. So the next segment of the news, uh, we're going to do more stories. So uh, which calls for banks to pause branch closures? So for those who don't know, um, which is an expert testing and reviews and advice site uh, in the UK. Um, so banks are urged to put an immediate pause on branch closure plans following an alarming acceleration. Analysis by which found there have been 736 bank closures this year alone, uh, so far with another 220 planned to go on in 2022. Uh, closures peaked between June and August this year with 298 branches closing their doors, equating on average to uh, an average of 99 branches being shut across the UK per month in that period. That's insane. So Annabel Holt, the chief executive of which, uh, said the alarming acceleration of bank branch closures has led many people who depend on them for essential banking services at risk of being cut adrift, which seems to fly in the face of work being done across the industry to protect access to cash. So we are calling on banks to pause any program of bank closures until proposals to protect access to cash are rolled out. Uh, so to combat this, major UK banks have agreed uh, to create a network of shared banking hubs uh, to ensure communities have fair access to cash. This is this has been you know a bit of a it's been a bubbling topic f uh, for most of this year's, and you know a lot a lot of fintechs tend to be like, yay, we're closing down the branches, woo, like innovation, cashless. Uh, but we forget that 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 sometimes you know in person experiences are very important. Um, Amy, do you have any any thoughts about what's been going on around this in the UK and the US and the EU and elsewhere? Yeah, I mean bank branch closures in well in the UK to talk to talk to the UK um, situation I think they're just happening absolutely everywhere and it's it's been a trend that's been going on for a couple of years now and I think that the point around the fact that it's leaving people who seriously depend on them um, 
out in the cold is is the serious one here because a lot of people don't use mobile banking or online banking. And we do forget that because the trend is that everyone's on mobile banking apps and actually that really is not the case. So I think the danger is that, yes, those people that do really need to access these banking services can't do so if branches don't exist. But then at the same time, when I was reading this article, I think the thing that jumped out at me was how seriously are the banks actually going to take this calling on them to to stop closing the branches because the whole model is now shifting towards a non-branch model of banking and all the money is going into investing in mobile banking and online banking capabilities. So actually, will we see a slowdown in bank branch closures as a result of, of which asking banks to do this? Probably not. Um, but yeah, we do, we do have to think about those people that depend on them at the same time. Yeah, I think definitely we should think about folks who are you know under under underbanked, uh, you know people who are undocumented even in in certain certain areas, uh, newcomers to countries with like say refugee status, um, the elderly. Like you know, there's just so many people on the fringes of this that like I you know I as as much as I'm a fintech insider and I'm definitely like very down for the you know truly digital financial services. I still think banks are important, which is why. The shared banking hub element is quite interesting to me. So uh, major UK banks have agreed to create a network of shared banking hubs to ensure communities have fair access to cash. So I don't know, this collaboration, I wonder if are the banks, do you think, uh, Gabriel, do you think the banks are going to play nicely with each other? Is this something you see happening um, in, in, a, in, a, in a smooth way? I, I, I would hope so. I think, you know, like, I think you mentioned something quite interesting. You know, we tend to think, hey, everyone is going to use a mobile phone. Everyone's on a smartphone and everyone is familiar with, you know, mobile apps and all that. Well, it's not the case. We see that in payments every day. You have unbanked people, right? People that want to use like other means to pay or other means to receive like, you know, their salary every month, right? I think there is, and, and that's something, by the way, that we see with online businesses, which are looking to avail like, you know, other means to accept payments, uh, we're working with a large company right now, which wants to use pay by phone. So you pay with your, you know, with EE or Vodafone, like essentially on their uh, website or mobile app. Um, I think in the US, they try to reinvent, you know, what is uh, the banking offering like um, in the branches. Um, the one thing that, you know, comes a lot in the conversation that we have uh, on, on this podcast is how you need to educate people. Right. There's always like new type of services out there. And we talk about buy now, pay later and, you know, like what does it mean and, and how people should perceive it. And, and, you know, we talk about crypto and what does it mean? Like how can you use crypto, how you should behave with like crypto wallets. So maybe there is less um, uh, like activities in the branches in some cities, but I'm sure that you can reinvent like what's the purpose of a, a banking branch. Right. Maybe there's other things that can happen there. Uh, which would definitely be needed, I, I think, right now. So are the banks going to work together? I would hope so. Can we reinvent, like, what is the uh, offering uh, of these uh, branches? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we can. Yeah, just, just to jump in there, so I think that's a really interesting suggestion. I think it's talked about a lot, reinventing the, the purpose of the bank branch. Can we do something to make it more around financial education or more around those products for which customers would prefer to actually speak to someone um, like a mortgage product, for example, where you'd quite like advice alongside choosing the um, the product that offers you the best rate. But I think the efforts or attempts to do that so far, at least in the UK, have been quite weak. Um, so it would be really good to see, actually, um, maybe even a collaborative effort, but a, an attempt to 
reinvent the bank branch to something where people actually do want to visit and, and do want to um to go there for reasons other than just to deposit checks. Absolutely. And I, I'm gonna come to Bruno because Bruno, you're in Latin America, you're um you know, definitely large large populations of underbanked, unbanked people. Are are we seeing the same move to cashlessness in Latin America? Are people still clinging to cash? Yeah, but the point is not only about cash when we're talking about bank, bank branches closures, because we are also talking about uh, you know some people that won't have access to information, and in, in, you know just like what Amy said, when you when you look to do when you need to do like uh, some kind of uh, you know to take a. a, 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 a uh, a land or, or basically work with a, a mortgage or any kind of product that is more sophisticated. So it's important as well. And it's important noting uh, when you look at countries like Brazil, we have like, it's just like a continent. It's it's like 210 uh, million people, so many different states. Uh, and there are so many level, level, different levels of maturity. We have countries that are near the Amazon rainforest, you know, in the middle of the, the Amazon rainforest. So uh, where, where people go, you know, by boat to, to, to reach the next, it's just like, it's just like something you see in Africa where there's a, a tribe here, something you, you have to go mile, you know, kilometers to, to reach another community. It's just like that, uh, but by boat, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very important to see, uh, cash is still the number one, um, mean of payment here in Brazil. Uh, we also, we, we, we implemented in 2000, in November 2020, PIX, which is our fast payments um, system, which you know now have more than 100 million users. So half of the population is using that. So first, first place is we have cash and then we have PIX. And the good feature that PIX brought as well is the possibility for people to Basically, uh, using Pix, uh, the, the the Pix ecosystem, to turn every niche store uh, or every niche merchant into uh, ATM because you can, they can basically give a change and receive money digitally through Pix, and then they can charge for this service and they can uh, deliver money for for someone. So. Uh, and, and as counterintuitive as it seems, it's going to drive people to to carry less cash because you have you can find cash basically anywhere because every place is now an ATM. So um, uh, so I think there there are so many good points on that. But I wouldn't only focus on you know uh, you know availability of cash, but also on this other aspect regarding you know for people to have the chance to to make make informed decisions around their financial lives with someone which is an expert. Another point to consider is this process of bank closure in Brazil is happening very fast. Uh, And when we have like the Southeast region of Brazil, which is uh, more developed, uh, that's for sure happening. And the banks are remodeling uh, uh, the, the, the branches. So they are bringing uh, different things to to it. Uh, You know, they are, you know, people are meeting this place for other purposes, just like to have lectures about financial uh, solutions and things like that, uh, rather than just like doing the operational stuff there. But when you have the the regions from like, uh, you know, the other regions in the country, uh, they use that for, you know, much more basic, uh, you know, purpose. And, 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 and that's, that's the way it is. And I, I don't think that's going to change like this. It's going to, it's going to take a little time. Absolutely. I think, yeah, definitely, like Amy said earlier about repurposing the branches for something else. Um, I, I just anecdotally, the last time I went to a bank branch was in 2018, summer of 2019 um, in Detroit at a rave. 
so they, <laughs> a closed bank um, turned the space into a rave venue. So maybe more raves, fewer bank branches. I don't know. Maybe that's my platform. All right, let's move on to the next story. So French super app Lydia raises $100 million, becoming the latest European fintech unicorn uh, and plots to have 10 million users by 2025. So this is from Altfy. So Lydia, a French banking challenger app that claims 5 million users, has raised more than 100 million at a valuation of over 1 billion, making it the latest fintech unicorn in France. The company raised the new cash from existing investors Tencent and Excel uh, and Founders Future, who all led the round. Uh, two U- U.S. investors, Dragoneer and Echo Street, are also joining the round and making their first investment uh, in Lydia. So one in three... Uh, 18 to 35-year-olds in France use this app, uh, which is following a shift in strategy over the past two years to establish itself as a super app. So Lydia now offers current accounts, joint accounts, credit, savings, and investment services through a deal with Bitpanda. This is insane. You know, this number of one in three uh, people within, you know, millennials, I guess, between 18 to 35 are using this app. This is insane. Um Lydia's success to date is, is, is quite quite amazing, but uh, have we seen a rise of super apps? And 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 is is, is a super app in France something something that that uh, is ambitious? Bruno, I'm going to come to you. I, th- I think New Bank is probably the closest we've seen to like a, a fintech super app uh, in Brazil. Um, what are your thoughts on on the rise of the super app? In, in fact, is a New Bank. There is another one that's bigger, which is called PicPay here in Brazil. Uh, we have like a, in New Bank, we have. Something like uh, they reach uh, 48 million, I think a, li- a, li- a little more than that, like 50 million uh, users and uh, PicPay got 60, uh, more than 60, in fact. So, and, and PicPay started as a payment app, uh, very similar and in, in trying to uh, mimic some of the QR code payments in, in, in China. And then they became large and with the pandemic, they grow absolutely um, uh, because of many, you know, because of, uh, uh, because of the whole context. And now, uh, they are also with different products. They got, now they got a chat, they got a, a messaging app in, uh, embedded on that. They got also a marketplace. They are embedding so many different features. So, uh, from the fintech field, we have PicPay, we have NewBank that, that started, uh, with, uh, you know, going beyond banking, just like I said earlier, uh, um, so those, those two guys are from the fintech uh, world. We also have like a, a traditional bank that, that created, that turned it into a digital bank, uh, called Inter here, uh, in Brazil. And now they dropped the name, uh, bank. It's used, it used to be, uh, Interbank and now it's just Inter because, and they said that on the website that they are now, uh, uh, they are becoming a platform to, to, to solve different problems and different, uh, in, and offer different solutions to, uh, uh, the customer life. So, uh, that's, that's the point. I think uh, we are in the kind of uh, a race, uh, super app race here in Brazil as well. Uh, there are some retailers that got an edge on that, just like Magazine Luiza, uh, which is a big retailer in Brazil, that also is, uh, uh, you know, incorporating embedding financial services and, and other types of and media and many other uh, solutions. Uh, so it's going to be a very intense and very fierce um, competition going forward. I really believe that uh, many all the players are, are realizing that they gotta do something more because the lines that separate the traditional markets, the financial market, and the other markets are getting bloodier, and um, 
and 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 things are going to to change a lot uh, in the next years. I think definitely, yeah. Like uh, Lydia's success to date has also, you know, it's the second most downloaded fintech app in France, uh, so second to PayPal. Um, so more than, like we said, more than 5.5 million people are using the, this app to bank, um, invest, and save money, and also send money to each other. Um, but according to Sifted, Lydia was uh, wants to become the primary account for 10 million users. So they want to double their their users. Um, Amy, do, do you think Lydia is overlooked in the conversation of the hottest neobanks? I think we always hear about Monzo, Starling, N26, Revolut. Like, do you think, that, is it maybe the language barrier that has uh, that has um, stopped us from talking so much about, about Lydia? Yeah, it's interesting. I think when this story cropped up in our um, sort of 11FS Slack channels, I think people hadn't realized how big Lydia actually was and, and it's um, sort of, how prolific it is amongst that particular uh, target demographic of Gen Z and millennial. And I'll be quite interested to see how how it's managing to meet the needs of sort of both of those, because a lot is spoken about how Gen Z and millennial audiences are quite different and do want slightly different things. Um, So how they're managing to sort of serve both those markets. I think in terms of it being a super app, um, I'm not sure, um, or it will be interesting to see whether France is actually a market whereby a super app sort of strategy takes off, because I think it's really been quite dependent from one country to another as to whether super apps are well received or not. So if if you take um, Tinkoff, I mean, Bruno was talking about um, super apps in Brazil, but if you take Tinkoff in Russia, and actually I was doing some analysis for, for a project earlier today, on Tinkoff, but it's amazing how much you can do within the app and the fact that you can, there are all sorts of offers and rewards. You can search for, um, you can eat, so you can even find car sort of service providers for your car and go and um, book your car servicing and um, you can buy cinema tickets and train tickets and just all of this stuff through the same app alongside investing, managing your finances, opening a new savings account. And there's a messaging feature as well. So it's really cool. And it'll be cool to see whether whether Lydia can make it work in France. I think, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Gabriel. I was going to come to you. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, like the uh, the history of, of Lydia is quite interesting if you think about it, right? If, if you go to France and you talk to like the younger demographic, they actually going to tell you, Hey, I'm going to lead you, you know, two euros to you or like three euros or whatever. Like, you know, we, should we lead you out at the dinner? Very similar to, I used to live in the U S very similar to Venmo. It's very much like the same principle they apply to, uh, to Europe. And they managed to sort of create that, you know, that sense of, that sense of belonging and ownership. Right. Um, and so I'm, I think, you know, that's where, how they started. And now like, you know, they're trying to expand their product offering and, you know, I'm I'm using Lydia. Um, I think it's it's a great product where you can see like you know different things popping up every time. You can open up an account with your partner. You can share a card, uh, things, and it's it's a very like you know seamless and 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 great product. Now the question is like is maybe that's a, another debate, but like I've you know I've lived in in several countries. I lived in Korea and I lived in Hong Kong where like super apps are very much ingrained, right? Like you use Kakao, you open the app and you can do a bunch of things. And, you know, same in, 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 in Hong Kong. And um, I think, and, and it's very much like the way, like these customers interact with their smartphone, right? It's literally like 
their life is on their smartphone. I don't think we're there yet. We're using a lot, you know, like our smartphone, but like um, we're still okay, like having several apps to manage our day-to-day right uh, life. And is there going to be one player or even a need to gather everything in one place? I'm, I'm not so sure, right? Um, and how are you going to transition from being like, you know, a new bank to what you said, Amy, uh, an app where I'm going to rent a car or like book a, you know, cinema ticket or, you know, all these type of things. I think there is a, there's an almost like a need for a shift in behavior uh, on your smartphone for this to happen. And it's not going to happen like, you know, that quickly now to have more services in a neobank. Absolutely. To go beyond like financial services. Maybe. I'm not so sure. Gabriel, I'm going to, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you on that. Like, cause so yeah, like what do you think? Like, would you want to have an app that like where you could do everything is like, I think from like, if I could give anecdotally personally, I, and maybe this is outdated, but I'd say no, I like, even I still, I have the Uber and the Uber Eats apps, even though I know that I can order Uber Eats in the Uber app, I still go between the two because I'm like, I just need to separate it. Um, but you know, having a super app, like, do, do you, th- would you, is that, is, that, is that something you'd want for yourself? The way I think about it is you may see like super app, in their own vertical, right? I think it makes sense to combine like, you know, um, renting a car and booking a, a flight ticket and booking a hotel room, right? Which is pretty much what the OTAs are trying to do, right? Uh, but maybe, you know, or even like what Airbnb is trying to do, right? I think they're trying to expand the offering and complete the journey from, you know, you book a house and then, you know, as you book a house, you want to go somewhere, you book a flight. As you book a flight, you want to book like some activities, you know, in that region. So I, I think, you know, that makes sense. And we're very much... I think the adoption is very much going to be there, right? Um, but as you said yourself, Rira, you book a you book an Uber. Like, are you going to book your next meal on the same app? Maybe, but the 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 connection is very uh, is not very clear, right? However, you're going to book like a meal uh, to be delivered at your place on Uber Eats, and then you're going to buy your groceries. Yes, you know that makes sense. So maybe you want to buy more things. So I think we may see like you know super apps by industries by vertical maybe i'm this is purely I, I, like hypothetical here right but that's the way i i see things evolving uh, maybe uh at least in europe or uh, but who knows maybe someone is going to manage to get me on on one big app when i'm going to do everything uh but right now I, I see more like you know like verticalized app where you can do more things in a given sector Right. Maybe that's something for the metaverse, actually. But uh, we're not going to, we don't have enough time to dive into that today. <laughs> um, all right, let's get on to the next segment, which is uh, stories we didn't have time to cover this week. So, um, so for this part of the show, we quickly round up some of the other stories from the week that we didn't have time to cover, that, but they still do deserve a shout out. So, Amy, do you want to get us started? Here we go. So, um, Better.com CEO to take time off after firing hundreds of employees over Zoom. So this is a story from The Guardian, um, and the CEO of online mortgage lender Better.com will be taking time off from his role after he abruptly fired more than 900 employees via a Zoom call recently. Vishal Garg, who founded the company in 2016, told the employees on the call that they are part of the unlucky group that is being laid off. In an interview with Fortune, Garg said that he and his team reviewed individual employee productivity data, including missed telephone calls, the number of inbound and outbound calls, and employees showing up late to meetings with customers. Current employees reported that after Garg fired those workers, he held a company-wide call about the layoffs and told the remaining employees that their productivity would be closely watched. 
In an apology posted to the company's website, Garg said that he failed to show the appropriate amount of respect and appreciation for the individuals who were affected. So this story is quite shocking, really. (laughs) And I think indicative of serious culture problems at the company um, and as well as big problems with its CEO, who actually already had a reputation for being quite unpleasant towards his, his employees and I think it'll be interesting here to actually see the, the repercussions because um, can he really continue to be CEO having shown sort of such little respect to his to his colleagues, I think, particularly in an environment where workplace culture and establishing that healthy, healthy culture in the workplace is so, so important. Yeah, I mean, it's such a oof, tough story to read. I mean, like, you know, if anyone hasn't seen it, just Google better.com layoffs. Uh, it's the video's gone viral. But I wonder if, if that's if that taking time off in quotes is is a slowly is a quiet step down maybe the board might be pushing him out we I don't know we'll see all right next story JP Morgan uh, this is from uh extra JP Morgan to hire hundreds more staff for the UK digital bank so JP Morgan as we remember they recently um, launched in the UK so they're uh, they're uh, they're going to ramp up their recruitment for the UK Digital Bank, outlining plans to take staff numbers above a thousand next year. That's insane. So Sanok Viswanathan, head of J.P. Morgan's international consumer business, said that they had hired 200 staff since launching in September to take its headcount to 100 and planned to hire hundreds more next year as it expands its product range. The new recruits will help the bank as it extends its range of services into digital wealth management via its acquisition of Nutmeg earlier this year and consumer lending. Viswanathan said that the fledging bank has already handled hundreds of millions of pounds of purchases across more than a million transactions. I'm, you know, this is such a like exciting thing to see. I mean, it's kind of nuts, um, you know, ramping up to a thousand employees <laughs> within like a year of of existence only a company with deep pockets can actually do that like only uh jp morgan can actually command that level of um of growth uh you know i think in a previous episode i described um you know the fin- if you look at the fintech banking scene as as various boats you know like um large ships are uh, big banks and incumbents are like a large cruise ship, just massive. Lots of fuel can go for days, you know, for days and days and days. Um, then there's the fintechs, which are like speedboats that can go really quickly, but not too far, uh, and keep having to refuel. Um, and then we've got the likes of JP Morgan Chase, who are like luxury yachts that just have the ability to, to go really far, really fast, um, and in style. So, you know, shout out to JP Morgan Chase and, and their expansion in the UK. I think, um, the acquisition of Nutmeg as well, um, is, is showing that they're not going to slow down anytime soon. Amy? Sure. So next story, Oak North acquires smart cash flow firm fluidly to boost SME support. So this is from UK Tech News. Oak North, a UK challenger bank for small and medium-sized companies, has acquired a London-based intelligent cash flow business fluidly for an undisclosed sum. The deal, which is subject to regulatory approval, will see Oak North gain Fluidly's software that combines data science with accountancy and domain expertise. Fluidly used by around 1,300 accountancy firms and was founded in 2013 and given regulatory approval in 2015. Oak North caters to scale up businesses and provides them with flexible debt finance. It has lent £6.5 billion to UK businesses over the past six years. So this is Oak North's first um, acquisition. And I'd say overall it makes sense because both 
companies, they've already got a bit of a history of working together and actually they're strongly aligned in this mission of supporting SMEs and specifically, uh, particularly for Oak North, those mid-corp companies that have historically struggled to access flexible debt finance and to help them grow. Uh, so it should really help to level up Oak North's proposition. And um, if this is their first acquisition and it goes well, then could potentially lead to more, I think. Yeah, Oak North, another example of deep pockets. All right, so let's bring everybody back for the final story. So this is from the FT Advisor. So the FCA launches a Christmas jingle to warn about fraud. So the Financial Conduct Authority uh, regulatory body in the UK has launched its first ever Christmas jingle in a bid to protect consumers against loan fee fraud over the festive period. Uh, so last year, the FCA received 32% more loan fee fraud calls per month across the festive season than the rest of the year. Loan fee fraud is where is when consumers are asked to pay an upfront fee for a loan or a credit that they never received. So across 2021, they registered 1,456 instances of reported loan fee fraud, with victims reporting on average a loss of roughly 270 pounds per fraud instance. Um, so that's quite a lot, you know, for individuals. Uh, the regulator said that the jingle was designed to be a lighthearted, engaging way to spread awareness of loan fee fraud advice to consumers this Christmas. The jingle is also published on the FCA's website and can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Uh, the lyrics include, uh, you know what, I, I'm not, not going to do it. I'm not, I, I think let's just cut away to, to, to hear the, the, the jingle. Um, but yeah, I love, love this new drop from the FCA. Uh, can we, let's, let's cut to a clip of it. My usually savvy brother was offered a loan His banker turned him down but he was desperate for dough They said, just pay a small amount and it will be on the way But the loan was never paid and he knows he was played FCA should have searched the person's details on the FCA's Financial Services Register FCA, a list to check if there's a problem FCA So if you do get offered an Brilliant, honestly I just can't believe that's real Available <laughs> on all streaming platforms uh, Anyone have any thoughts about this? Bruno, you were bobbing along you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christmas is a cheesy, very cheesy uh, uh, time of the year. So I think it 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 it, it makes sense <laughs> because you know, great, uh, crazy. Uh, but anyways, I think it's cool uh, in some part because uh, it's a tentative. I don't know how effective is it, it, it is, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't see a reason why someone would uh, li you know open Spotify and listen to it. But anyways, <laughs> think it's taking financial education to the next level. Gabriel, thoughts. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to say we go back to the same topic all the time, right? I mean, those, you know, people need to be educated, like fraudsters are becoming more sophisticated by the day, you know, and that's a, a, a nice way to maybe send a, a message to everyone out there, um, you know, and uh, yeah, excited to, to see the FCA being super creative here. Um, what's going to come next? I don't know, but that's interesting. I was just going to say it's actually quite catchy. So if everyone's going around singing it, then spread the word. Exactly. Which other country would you hear someone singing the jingle of the name of their 
country's like regulator, <laughs> financial regulator. Uh, <laughs> that's that, that's the point. Amazing, amazing. I think that's that's you know that's something that you guys are going to export just like a regulatory sandbox and all the good uh, best practices of the market. <laughs> yeah, British exports, regulatory sandboxes, neo banking, and uh, jingles from uh, regulators. It's great. So that wraps up this week's news show and our news shows for the year. Uh, so thank you so much to all our guests throughout 2021 and all our listeners too. We could not do it without you. So thank you especially to today's guests. Where can people find out more about you, Gabriel? Um, well, you can find out more about Primer on Primer.io and you can reach out uh, to me on LinkedIn. Um, oh yeah, my LinkedIn is uh, Gabriel Leroux. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on the show again. And by the way, we're hiring a lot. So check the career page. Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> Bruno, where can we find out more about you? Sure. Uh, uh, basically on LinkedIn, on Twitter as well, uh, at, a little bit of activity on, on Instagram as well. So it's Bruno Diniz or Bruno, when Twitter is uh, Bruno EV uh, Diniz with a Z in the end. So that's it. And uh, so it was a pleasure talking to you guys. I uh, hope to be here again next time. Absolutely. Thank you. And Amy, finally, you. It's LinkedIn for me, um, Amy Gavin, or you can drop me an email at amy.gavin at 11fs.com. I hope you enjoy your Christmas tree later. Um, and for, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter, not Guerra. Uh, but also, we, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing at 11FS, uh, we are now called 11FS Consulting, is now called 11FS Ventures. So it's 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Really exciting stuff going on there. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, join the conversation on social media or email podcast at 11fs.com. Uh, goodbye and happy holidays. Bye.